Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone from freezing Westchester It's 19 degrees out, but the sun's shining and we have author, award-winning author John Land here, Murder at the CDC. Oh, my God, is this great. I'm going to just read something from the flap. Military transport on a secret run to dispose of its deadly contents vanishes without a trace. I'm not going to read where it says in the present because I don't know if that's correct. But we're going to talk about Robert Brixton, and we're going to find out he's on a trail to cover behind a shooting at his grandson's school. So... Hi, how you doing? Fran, it's publication day. If I'm not doing good today, when am I going to be doing good? You are doing great. And I'm going to post a review later with 100 stars. At least 100. <laughs> 100 stars! Oh, my God, I should bank some of those for future books. Yes, I, 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 they're coming out of the woodwork, people. My show's booked to the end of June. I got nothing after that. Nothing. Uh, it's like unbelievable. And the funny part is that people whose books I read years ago were just saying, could you review my book and go, who are you? Mm-hmm. So how did you create the prologue, and why is this so important to what happens next? Because that was scary. <laughs> that's, that, that's, as always, a, a, a great question, great question to start with. And I wanted to do, you know, there's, there, there are classic thriller tropes. There are things that, that fans of the mm. genre not only come to expect, but, but revel in. And the, the big prologue, something that happens in the past that comes to have uh, a distinct effect on the present. You know, as they say, good writers borrow, great writers steal. I stole that from Clive Cussler and Robert Ludlum um, in their primes, mm-hmm. writing in the 70s and 80s. Um, once you read the prologue of a Cussler book or a Ludlum book back then, you could not stop reading Mm -hmm. and the notion of some you don't know what's in this tanker and that's the beauty of it you just know it's called a red dog run which means it's a high security transport to get rid of something that is extremely deadly and dangerous and the fact Mm -hmm. that it vanishes just drops off the face of the earth totally disappears what happened to it and what happens if somebody finds it to me, that's the MacGuffin, what Alfred Hitchcock called the MacGuffin. What is everybody after? What is propelling the plot? And that goes to answer the second part of your question. That's mm-hmm. how it fits into. It's the driving force. It's the impetus. It's, it's not the engine that drives the book, but it's the gasoline that drives the engine that drives the book. Finding out what's in that tanker, who's got it, and what happens if it falls into the wrong hands. And that's always in my books. As you know from reading Caitlin Strong, as Mm -hmm. you know from reading anything I've written, 
There is always somebody out there who is looking to do something terrible. Uh, The difference in this case is that it's not a foreign power. The threat is coming from within the country. And if it's successful, the country will be radically changed for history. This is that's scary. Let me tell you, and the book is so nice. I finally got a hardcover for the first time. Yay! You and, and, and I put it in the mail. You all you had to do was I, ask. Don't, but you know, don't, let's not make that a habit with all the people. Hopefully, who were listening today, because then I won't make any. Then then the book won't sell any copies because I'll be giving them all away. Well, I've got one, and they can't have it. Too bad. All right, good, good. There you go. <laughs> you should you should see the pile on my desk. It's taller than I am. But, okay, now we've got my my favorite character, another one is um, Robert Brixton. Mm -hmm. What's his background? And we're learning about Mac, and what did he learn about Alexandria? Oh, God, he didn't know about her. Well, you know, two questions, so let's start with the first. Um, I inherited Robert Brixton from my predecessor, Don Bain, who had taken over uh, five or six books before when Margaret Truman Harry Truman's daughter, who conceived the Capital Crime series, passed away. And then Don passed away. Mm. So I inherited Robert Brixton. I didn't, I didn't create him. But I thought mm. there was an untapped reservoir in Robert Brixton. That Don Bain established him as working for this shadowy State Department security arm called Sitqual. Um, I wanted to take him to the next level. I wanted mm. to make him... Um, the kind of character that Vince Flynn writes, the kind of character that Brad Thor writes, Brad Taylor writes, the former special operator who's still in the game. So I made him, I I expanded his role, and I made him pretty much in his past um, what people like that actually do. Um, And I really got into his, his status as a special operator, his training. There's a great scene. My favorite scene. Every book, every book I have a favorite scene that, that nobody else will talk about. But mm-hmm. my favorite scene in this book is the one where his grandson, who's narrowly escaped death in a, in a shooting mm-hmm. in, on the Capitol steps, says, calls him Poppy. It's his grand. So the idea is this is an action hero. He's 55 and he's a grandfather, Robert Brixton. And his grandson says, will you teach me how to shoot? And that was really good. Brixton, and then Brixton goes into this exchange where the kid is asking him honest questions about what he did. Have you ever killed anybody? And you know, what does it feel like? And that scene is so revealing and so it, it, it's so I, I, it's empathetic, but it's also revealing in the sense that you get to know so much about Brixton. And the fact that he's being honest with this 15-year-old boy who almost died, his grandson, mixed race kid. Uh, it's, it, it has pathos. It has heart. Um, and I think the problem with thrillers that I don't like mm. is that they lack heart. The thing I think that's wonderful about the genre, um, the thing that I think keeps people coming back, is not the action. It isn't even scenes like a disappearing tanker in the prologue. Sure, that's part of it. But what really keeps people coming back to the best thriller writers and the best thrillers is a sense of heart, a sense of who these people are. This is why you're seeing so many, you know, so many people imitating or um, creating their own versions of Jack Reacher. You know, the haunted. Although, you know, the thing about Jack Reacher is he isn't haunted at all. He does what he does. 
uh, the most brilliant character in modern fiction, not just of, of any kind. But I'm talking about characters like Evan Smoke, the Nowhere Man, formerly Orphan X, created by Greg Hurwitz. Characters who are haunted by something. Um, the lone gunman who can't live among men. They try, but it, it never works any more than Dirty Harry, the Clint Eastwood character, mm. can live among men. So there's a classic thriller concept there that I get into with Brixton. Now, with the second part of your question, Brixton's best friend and, and the person who's really helped his career along as an international private investigator is Mackenzie Smith, um, mm. a, a high-powered Washington lawyer. And again, what's the key word for today's interview? Heart. Mackenzie Smith yeah. finds out he has a daughter from an affair he had 25 years before. And he wants this girl to be his daughter so much because he lost a child in a drunk driving accident. So this is his chance to, to this is his chance at redemption. This is his chance. His, he's getting a second chance at being a father. And he wants this girl to be his young lady. She's 25, 26, Alexandra. He wants it to be true so much he doesn't have objectivity. So he asks Brixton to, to meet with her and vet her and investigate her to make mm -hmm. sure she is um, who, who she says he is and who, who she says she is and who Mac wants her to be. Now, key thing about thrillers, for me, the emotional core, the heart of the book, always intersects with the structural core of the book, the skeleton, in other words, the flesh and the bones. Well, Brixton meets with Alexander, and one of the things he learns in their, in their lunch is that something is bothering her. She works for the CDC, and she's come into some information which terrifies her, but mm -hmm. she can't share it with Brixton. She asked for his advice. So what's great about that is there was one meeting for the agenda when, the, when, when they started their lunch, but by the end of the lunch, it's changed entirely. And that's what's great about when, when you can surprise yourself, because that's not something I was expecting mm -hmm. when I started writing that scene. When you can surprise yourself, so many of the people who read my books, they read so many thrillers. They've seen it all. They can almost write the scenes for me. Mm -hmm. they don't, I don't <laughs> even need to write them. So I have to keep, friend, I've got to keep surprising myself. Because if I don't, when you read a John Land book, you're going to know, all right, Brixton's going to interview this girl. There's going to be some secret in her past, and it's go that's going to be – but that's not the direction the book goes in. Sure, um, we see Mac not struggling with, fa with fatherhood, mm -hmm. but embracing it um, and um, wanting this. In and Brixton knows it's Mac's daughter right from the start because of their eyes. They have the same eyes, the exact same eyes. And Brixton knows that Mac knew that, but he just needed the affirmation. So the scene takes on a different context. And again, mm. we're off and running. I can't stress enough that one of the marks of a good thriller is, number one, it has heart. And number two, that heart and the, is directly connected to what's going on in the story. Um, it's, the fact that Brixton's grandson was almost... Uh, killed on the Capitol steps is directly related, not necessarily the fact that he's Brixton's grandson that he's there, mm. but the shooter, the reason why he's shooting at a bunch of high school kids at the time 
Why, is, why were high school kids targeted in this Capitol Steps shooting? Well, that's for Brixton mm-hmm. and his partner in this particular book, uh, former Baltimore homicide detective um, Kelly Loftus. That's what they have to determine, and that's the fun of the book. Yeah, I like her, though. I wasn't sure at first, but I like her. They let her go from the, from the Baltimore Police Department. Right. Now she's there. She, now she's there, right? She's going to work there. She's a capital so, policeman. Yeah, she's really good, though. So why is Senator Birch there? You mean, and uh, then, he be- then he becomes involved, Bixton, too. You know, I'm, uh, uh, you know this is, I, I, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And I think one of the weaknesses thrillers have and that I have is that we create these, these cardboard characters like Senator Byron Fitch. Yeah. They kind of reappear in all my books. They all sh- they're, they're just different names. And these characters are, are not the characters driving the action. They're, per- they're involved, in their, but they're peripheral. Um, and they're mostly, they're not buffoons, but they're so hateable because they're so jaded. In their, they have no values. All they care about is power and money. Um, in other words, they're a typical politician. Right. Okay. So that's why. So this guy Fitch is 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 the is a you know he's a guy who wants to be president, who's been hiding his true views, um, elected as an independent in a democratic state of Maryland as a senator. Um, You know he's kind of pretending to be something he's not. So when the time is right, he can reveal his true colors, um, and help this conspiratorial movement take over the government. Well, it is, I, I, can't, I couldn't put this down. This, and I, in fact, that I, you know, had a FedEx, you know, print it out for me, made it easier because the font was larger, seriously. And the book weighed more than I do, but that's okay. So how does Kelly become involved in this shooting? Now, this was really good. Yeah, it There's was. There's a woman it? on the bench. Yeah. And she won't say who she is. But when she says I says something at the end before she leaves, before she finds her, it's like what? Yeah, and the fun part of that scene is, you know, you're uh, as a thriller writer, I'm always looking for new challenges for the characters I create, new ways they can get to the truth. And investigations, again, thriller writers mm. are very savvy. They're very experienced. They're very smart. They've seen it all. If you want them to keep buying your books, you've got to give them something new. You've got to give them something more. So in this case, this, this woman who's dazed and kind of in shock over what's happened on the Capitol steps because she knows who did it and she knows why. And so she, she basically walks away in a daze. Yeah. But she has this old, ripped handbag. And as she's walking... Things are falling out of the handbag. Now we and yeah. Kelly, fought, the, the, the former Baltimore police detective, who's now a capital, is now with Protective Services for the Capitol Police. She follows a trail, picking up notes and cards and pieces of paper that have been run over, but that have tire tracks on them and that are, you know, that that, that have coffee stains. And then she try, has to reconstruct. And I had never done something like this before. And, and here's something else, you know, and I love coming on your show, Fran, because first of all, I get an hour, and so I can really yep. talk. 
which is good because I, I, I talk a lot and I, <laughs> and I like talking. But the thing about it is I had never done something like this, kind of a national treasure Nicolas Cage movies thing where, where a character is putting a puzzle, literally putting a word puzzle together. And there's a great moment. And again, everything is about building up to something. Good thrillers build. Great thrillers pay off. In Murder at the CDC, it's the line when she figures out that, the, that one of the missing pieces is five million dead. What does she know? That somehow this woman on the courthouse, uh, on the courthouse, who's on the, on, the, on the great lawn of the Capitol, who knows the shooter who just murdered, um, who just killed 18 people, um, wounded more. Um, she, is, she is somehow aware through this handwritten note that Kelly Loftus, the cop, reconstructs that five million people minimum are going to die. Or millions. I forgot whether I put a number on it. Or it's just millions will die. Well, how are they going to die? And then what do we come back to? We come back to that tanker that disappeared in the prologue. You can see the problem with the dangling, I call it the dangling prologue, even in Kussler's books, was sometimes by the time you got back to the MacGuffin that was introduced you know, before the story even starts in the past. Um, by the time you get back to it, so many pages have passed, you've forgotten. And you have to go back and reread. I want, in, in my thrillers, I like to make that connection much more intrinsic and much more, and much more seamless and also faster. So right away, when you, the reader knows stuff, and here's the fun of thrillers, the reader knows things the characters don't. Kelly Loftus does not know about the tanker. Brixton does not know at this point, stage of the book. He is going to learn about it, but he doesn't yeah. know about it now. So you're left. So, and here's, here's the real fun thing. And I'm, I'm just realizing this myself. Here's the real fun thing. As mm-hmm. Kelly Loftus is assembling a puzzle for herself, the reader, that's what a thriller does. The reader gives the, 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 the a thriller gives the reader a puzzle and asks them to assemble it. So it's kind of like it's like kind of like an interactive adventure in the sense that the reader is doing the same thing that that the that the character is doing, and that's kind of the way I want to immerse uh, cr- create an immersive experience for my readers to make them not only feel like that they're there but they have to that they're playing along with the characters they're they're assembling the clues at the same and trying to figure out the connections how do what what does this baltimore high school what does a baltimore high school have to do with all this where seven kids were poisoned that's a different school than the ones mm. than the one that gets shot up on the capitol steps but what how did seven high school students die within a few hours of each other in a single day what do they have in common you see great thrillers raise questions um, that you have to keep reading to get the answers to. But then the best thrillers never let you down with those answers. They don't say, you don't, you don't want the reveal of something you've been building to to be anticlimactic. That is a crucial thing if you're writing. The worst thing a writer can be in the thriller genre is, is anticlimactic because you've let the reader down. 
And there's an old saying in, 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 in this business, let the reader down, they'll never buy you again. I just made it up so it's not so old, but it's true. Well, you should read the last five thriller books I have to interview people with, and um, Root Canal was more fun. Well, you know something? It's, it's sad because I, I figured out who did it on the first page. <laughs> I figured it out right away. And that, that, you know, that, that, that's really a problem. And you know what it comes down to? I mean, yeah, when I M. Night Shyamalan, uh, you know, uh, the d- director and writer, wrote and directed The Sixth Sense, the great movie with Bruce Willis, yeah. he was terrified. That the, that the viewers would figure out that Bruce Willis was dead so early in the movie that it would be no fun. But he so magically misdirects our attention that we never even suspect that, 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 that the big reveal, what the big reveal is because we're putty in the director's hands. The same way we're putty in the hands of a master magician. I watch America's Got Talent for one reason. When it's on, I watch it for the magicians and the mentalists. They, Fran, they do things that are impossible. I don't care when people say go on YouTube and they'll explain how they did the trick. I, 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 it makes me want, is this real? Is this really magic? Is this person really able to do what he's, he or she or says that they're doing? Because what's the other explanation? A thriller writer is like a magician. We're trying, we don't want you to see something too early. So we have to distract you from it. You know, we don't want you figuring things out too fast. Because if you beat Brixton and Loftus to the, end, to, to the solution, then you're smarter than they are. And by nature, the characters you're reading need to be smarter than you, or you should be the hero of the book instead of them. Mm. This, this, was, this was really complex. I loved it. But this part really interested me because when there's any kind of science or anything different, I like I have to look it up too. Mm-hmm. So we met Ephraim, and he goes along with him and his son to the greenhouse, and we yeah. learn about why this that was so cool, white death, which I'm yeah. not going to say why that's important because it's going to helpful to figure out something. I think that that's actually one of my favorite little things and smaller things in the book. It's not so small. Yeah. The notion that, that there are so many plants, flowers, flowers specifically, that, are so, that have these deadly toxins. We're always looking for ultimate weapons in the lab. Well, sometimes the ultimate weapon is right under our nose. Mm. In this case, the white death, which is what's in that tanker, comes from orchids. Mm-hmm. And it's a genetically enhanced compound which is basically deadly in any number of ways. You can do it transdermally. You can inhale it. You could swallow it. Uh, any, it it's unlimited. It's, it's one of those super weapons that um, – and it could also – and the thing that makes it special is it can be targeted. You could only go after one part of the country and not the other by how you release the poison by how you release the toxin. Mm. And, of course, this plays right into the villain's hands because they don't want an indiscriminate weapon. They want a selective weapon so they can attack the parts of the country that they want to attack. That's scary. So how, does the, how do they learn the name of the shooter 
And I love this kid. You got to bring him back. I love this kid. He's so he's so me because I get involved in everything and get in trouble all the time. Uh-huh. So how does Rob, Robert's grandson become involved? And what information does he share? And I just had an idea for a panel after. Uh, that's good. Uh, well, I mentioned before that he's he's nearly a victim. So. Yeah. His role is to get Brixton into the plot, is to bring Brixton in. Now, at that point, there's no way we could know that mm. what Alexandra Mackenzie Smith's long-lost daughter is chasing is ultimately the same thing Brixton is chasing. It's just a different avenue that she's taking to get to it. And what he learns from his grandson in the same scene I mentioned before, um, where he's telling the, his, the grandson the truth about who he is, who he really is, that very few people know. He learns that the shooter was targeting them. He aimed that gun. It wasn't random. He didn't just shoot mm-hmm. up the Capitol steps. He was aiming left, right. He was aiming right to left across the steps, um, and starting with these high school students, and then following them as. as as the survivors. So, you know, now, again, misdirection. Is that really what's going on? I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. It only mm-hmm. appears to be what's going on. It's kind of a red herring. Um, and it, it's also, it's also you know, there, there mm-hmm. are, you've got to be very, very careful. There are some things that are taboo, even in thrillers. And killing, killing kids is tough. Mm. Um, now these are high school kids, so they're not little kids, but still, it's and and, and but here's the problem. We think by ignoring or having these unwritten rules that some that we can't do certain things, we want to convince ourselves that bad things really don't happen. That there aren't really people out there who would do this. There aren't really mm. people out mm-hmm. there. You want to know something? There are. And that's what this book gets to. They are. That there are. There you read are, the news lately. There are. Every yeah. other day is a high school high school murder or some kind of shooting. It scares me. You know, it, that, it's that my great nephew goes to fact, school. This book know, is coming out, I think, college, on the anniversary. It scares me. Isn't, yeah. isn't the anniversary of Parkland today or yesterday? Um, I know. The, uh, so, I mean, there's the, the, the shooting in Parkland. And, you know, I'm gonna, you know let, let's digress briefly. This country... I won't use the word I want to use because it's PG-13 show. But yeah, this, country is so, <laughs> this country is so messed up. You, yep, they are. In, in, the, in, the wake, in the wake of that tragedy at Parkland, those high school seniors and some younger than high school seniors like David Hogg and oh, I forgot the name of that. Celine, uh, Gomez was, I think, her last name. Um, she, had, she had a crew cut. You listen to these 18 and 17 and 16-year-old kids talk. And boy, could we learn a lot from that. And you want to know the dregs of humanity, the dreck, the crap, the, 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 the feces we should just roll out in the trash. Look at the people on certain networks in certain media who vified mm-hmm. those children. Those survivors for arguing against gun rights. They made them villains. They stalked them. And I'm talking about the same mentality. The same people who did to that to those Parkland kids are the people who are, who are capable of anything if it achieves their ends. And that's the mentality I'm exploring in yeah. Murder at the CDC, the, the factions and tribalism in this country, and how far 
one side will go to get what they want. Whether they have to lie, steal, cheat, kill, it doesn't matter. It unfolds every day before our eyes. Before, right in front of us, we're seeing it. And you want to know something, friend? Let's just call a spade a spade here, okay? Let's just come out and, and just say it. If you think that pizza joints are fronts for pedophile rings where kids are being trafficked in basements by Democrats and politicians, mm-hmm. and if, you, if you're in Dealey Plaza in Dallas for five weeks waiting for JFK Jr. and his father to, to magically reappear, you're a moron. You have a, I know. You are an, you're a moron, and you're destructive, and, what you're, and your thoughts are destructive. And these are not harmless people. These are the same people who would shoot up capital steps because they heard a voice in their head. Because that's what JFK Jr. wanted them to do. Because JFK Jr. is going to rise from the dead and stand alongside Donald Trump in vanquishing the pedophile rings that are in the basements of pizza parlors. And oh, by the way, did you know the California wildfires were started by space lasers from Israel? People Mm -hmm. believe this crap. How about Alex Jones? And his followers, which number in the millions, that believe Sandy Hook, the shooting in Sandy Hook, not too far from where either one of us are right now, was fabricated. Those weren't really kids who died. They were Hollywood actors. That wasn't blood. That was just makeup. That was just special effects. There are people in this country who are so deluded they are th- that they live in their own brand of reality. They create their own reality mm-hmm. to justify their hatred and their misanthropic, small thinking. They're despicable. They're absolutely what despicable. Gets, what and gets that, me is that some of them have so much money that they actually get away with it. And that's what well, bothers me even more. No, no. What's worse money, is, money talks. No, no. What's worse is... The fact that smart people with money will back them to get power. That's exactly, they that's exactly, exactly it. It's a con job because these people are so stupid and moronic, they can be conned so easily. You know, it's like, you know, they're the ones who'd buy, if they had any money, they'd buy property in, in, in mm. Florida, you know, swampland. You know, um, yep. it, it, it's kind of like if it used to be, and I don't know, the mentality that I'm trying to get at in Murder at the CDC is, and maybe this, it's become so pervasive in our country that if you lose, you still get a trophy. If you fail a test, you get to take it over. If you lose an election, well, then somebody stole it because you couldn't have possibly lost it. Your man, your guy couldn't possibly have lost. So because you can't face that reality, you have to invent your own Mm -hmm. reality. And, and, And so, you know what? There's something about losing, and I've lost more than I've won in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're in the book business and the movie business, um, it's, like, it's kind of like living in a world where you get rejected. The girl you want to take to the senior prom turns you down every day. That, that's, that's the world I live in. Um, and it would, I would love the fact that I could get do-overs, that, if, that when I pitched Netflix on Caitlin Strong and I was terrible – Boy, I wish I could. Can I do that again tomorrow? No, you don't get that in reality. You know, 
Um, or maybe I should have gone down to Dallas and waited for JFK to magically reappear, you know, and where he was shot <laughs> all those years ago. You know, what, what drives these people? And there were hundreds of them there cheering and waiting. Whenever a siren went by, they, they were like, they really believed that JFK was coming back. And a person that deluded, and this is what I'm getting at in Murder the CDC. Scary, these are the people, what happens if people like that took power? What would happen if they were mobilized to the, and used and conned to be that army on the front lines to, to almost like a crusade? Because that's what this is right now. It's a cult. Mm. It's, not a, it's not politics. It's a cult. You know, it's the cult of personality. And just like I didn't understand how anyone could follow a loser like James, what's his name, uh, the Jonestown guy, um, James Jones or whatever it was, I never mm-hmm. understood people like that. Um, I don't understand weakness. Um, I don't understand that kind of weakness uh, because it's so foreign to me. Um, You have to be honest with people, but most of all, you have to be honest with yourself. That's the problem. Most people aren't, and they're delusional. So we've got another character that I really like. That's Panama. Oh, I love Panama. And he comes into the picture with Ephraim, and where does he take him? And why did you create the scenes that deal well, with the beginning of the book? I was like, that is so freaking cool. Um, well, again, confession time. What drives thrillers is forward momentum. But any, there are always times where you hit a wall or you're going to hit a wall where the character, your hero, cannot learn any. He's, he's exhausted all his resources to get the information that he has. So there's a classic thriller trope of the mysterious the mysterious stranger. He's not the lone gunman. He's the mysterious man who appears out of nowhere mm. with answers to questions. And he works for shadowy people, or he doesn't work for anyone at all. Panama is a fixer in the sense that, you know, he comes into a situation to decide who gets jurisdiction. Who's the right mm. people to take this big thing on? Um, and you realize in, in both Murder on the Metro, the first book where you meet him, and, and Brixton names him Panama because he wears a Panama hat and a khaki suit <laughs> all the time. You know, um, he, he actually is very powerful. You know, he commands incre- – he doesn't answer to anyone. He's, an, he's a minister without portfolio. So he can do whatever he wants uh, because he doesn't, have, he doesn't carry an ID card or a badge in his wallet. He, he's one of these characters – um, in the old days, it would probably be called Deus Ex Machina, God, the, the writer is God, in the sense that he comes in and answers questions. The reader needs the answers, and, the, and more importantly, Brixton needs the answers. And the, he comes in to the book. He just, he's kind of a character who just shows up in places. He shows up in the greenhouse because now he's been listening to this whole conversation, and now he, he, they, they, found, they think they found the white death. They think they found the missing tanker. Well, they find the mm-hmm. missing tanker, but there's nothing left inside it. So mm-hmm. somebody, Fran, sucked out the white death from the tanker, and now it's out there. It's at large. Somebody's got it. What scares me is that somebody got this stupid virus, and it's out there, too, and it's never going away either. And... It, it, it cracks me up that they're lifting all these bans and stuff. Wait till this. Wait till the uh, pandemic gets worse again when they lift all the masks and stuff. They have no idea. Um, so, 
we've got another character that I'm not crazy about, Deacon Frank. Ah. Tell us about him and... I, you know something? I reported child abuse when I was an educator. I would have probably slammed him a long time ago. Well, uh, you know I don't something? like him, and he justifies himself too. That's well, what gets me. Deacon Deacon Frank Deacon, and they call him his name is Deacon Frank, Frank Wilhite. They call him his name, but he goes yeah. by Deacon Frank because he was a de as a young boy he was a, a quote deacon in his televangelist father's church, mm. and I, I think Deacon Frank is one of the greatest villains I've ever created. Because mm-hmm. he, he he's so rich and so deep and so vulnerable to his own emotions. He, one of the things that happens is he, he, he despises the memory of his father, his late father. His father was, was killed in, 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 a, in a robbery um, of the church. So um, he despises his father. And then he realizes he's becoming his father. And his relationship with his son is one of the key beats in the book, in, in Murder at the CDC, because mm. his son is, is, a, is, a, is a bullied kid. But in the course of the writing, in the course of the story, Deacon Frank comes to realize his kid is this closet, you know, scientific savant. And then <clears throat> the kid, it turns out, can, can help Deacon Frank weaponize mm. the white death, whereas everyone else has failed. The kid has already proven there's a way to make it work because he's done yep, it. Did. So you didn't know that early on. So again, these are not, a lot of these things I didn't know when I started writing the book, mm. but this was one of those books that really came together for me. And Deacon Frank lives in the shadow of his famous father, the Reverend... A Rand Atlas Wilhite. Um, and I think that's a very pe- something people can relate to. Living in the shadow of your, of your, of your father or your mother, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's something you never really um, get over. And then the guy dies and Deacon Frank inherits all this money. Well, what's he going to do with it? Well, he grew up among the kind of people in, in the backwater towns and in rural America. Um, that have that that, have, that whose values I don't I don't know what what's happening to these people and you know these you know they're, they're, these are the people in not all of them, but these are the people in, in Dallas waiting for JFK to come back so he knows he grew up in the midst of these people and he knows how to manipulate them he knows how to con them he knows he wants to outdo his father he wants to become bigger and more powerful than his father he wants to leave his mark and the way he's going to leave his mark is by utilizing the white death to do something that is so God, that is so awful and yet in his mind it's the right thing to do and that's the scary thing about villains villains believe what they're doing is just yeah they justify it they justify it but it's not they're not they may be lying to themselves but they but they buy into their lie and yeah. That's the thing about liars. A lot of times the first person they, they con is themselves. And that's the thing. You con yourself. Um, you know, and it's, if, you, you know, you, you, you are, if, if somebody calls you up and says to you, congratulations, Fran, you won $100,000. Yeah, right. You won <laughs> I've the publisher's all, almost clearinghouse sweepstakes. 
and you're how happy are you right now? I just told you one hundred thousand dollars. And you know what, I friend? I quite buy it. I I have the check. You just got to send me the taxes in advance. Send me five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and I'll wire you. As soon as I get it, I'm going to wire you one hundred thousand because I've got to pay the taxes up front. These are the kind of people. That's right. Who would wire the five the five thousand dollars because they want to believe they want to they believe the lie they believe the con and I you know it, it it's mind boggling that you could yeah, believe space lasers and you could believe pedophile pizza joints and you and, and you could believe Sandy Hook was a joke but there are millions of people in this country who are susceptible to this cultish thuggish behavior with this this parade of clowns. You know, the car pulls up and they all get out of the car. You know, the Alex Joneses, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I could go on forever. The O'Keefe's, you know, um, the people who twist the truth and fabricate stories to create the reality they want. They don't care. And then they convince others that that reality is real, not something they created. And I don't know what's worse, them or the people who follow them. Both. Because the people that follow them get other people that follow them. But before I forget, Thursday, award-winning author Cindy McDonald will be here with her next Fiona Quinn. And on the 21st, the author of Fool Me Once. Now on the 23rd, John, somebody we know and love, John Gilstrap. Oh, my friend, John Gilstrap. Uh, Hopefully you're having him on early. Yes, 10 Um, o'clock. Okay, that's good because, uh, you know, um, it's John is – talk about great action writers. John is just awesome. Um, His Jonathan Graves character, who's a hostage negotiator, uh, one of the best in the business. And, And you know what I love about John? He's been doing this about as long as I have. Uh, through all the ups and downs and twists and turns, um, you know, uh, John Gilstrap has hung in there, and he's still writing great books. This is this is different. This is the second in the series that I read. Yeah, this and is this the new is series. About, the what would you do hero. without electricity? Without cars? Without stoves? What if you do, what if you lived in a land where if you don't work, you don't eat? This is so fantastic. And on the twenty eighth, I am like shocked. New York Times author Claire Douglas will be here with Just Like Us Other Girls. On the 2nd, Wayward Assassin. On the 3rd, Driven. Hmm. And on the 8th, wait till I get him on the air. Philip Margolin, The Darkest Place. I won't tell you why, but he did something that made me cry. That's all I will say. And on uh-huh. the 10th, yes, wait till you see what happened. Yes, uh-huh. 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 when people do that. And then, and Andrea Kane uh, at any cost on the 10th, and that's just part of March. Don't forget Nancy Allen on the 15th. So I've got a lot of people coming up, and there's going to be a couple of weeks where I have three in a row. Oh, my God. So what do they, the parents of the school where the children were killed? Mm-hmm. You know, my niece was part of the Parkland thing. Her school was right next door. They had to lock it down for hours. They had to lie, sit under under uh, tables and stuff. It was horrible, she said. So what do you learn from the parents of the students? And this principal, he, he had no choice but to cooperate, but he couldn't figure out what happened. What's wrong with these people? Well, I, again, thrillers are puzzles. They're quests. They're journeys. And in this case, there has to be a connection. In the, for those yeah. seven kids, because they're all they all die the same day. 
um, the they were poisoned, but nobody knows what, with, or how. Yeah. So by inve- by um, by interviewing their parents, and these are these are really hard scenes um, to to read and write because you're dealing with grief. But the fun part of that grief in this case is that you're, the pictures that Brixton and Loftus, because they divide them up, so you see them going back and forth. They see them. There are clues that they get along the way, and one of those clues becomes crucial in the investigation into the existence of the White Death and who has it. Because what you realize, again, um, and this is the the connections you make in thrillers, and some people will call a writer like me manipulative, because in the end, everything connects. No, life is not always like that. Not everything always connects. But... But in thrillers, it does. So the fun part of reading a thriller like Murder at the CDC isn't if all this stuff is connected. You use the word how complicated or complex the book is. It's not if, it's how. How, does all, how do all these pieces, these disparate strands knit together? How do they come together? And that's the definition of what, of, of what a thriller is. It takes all these disparate pieces of a story and joins them together. One of the differences, and I've never said it this way before, so we've got to hold on to this one. One of the differences between a thriller and a mystery is, for the most part, a mystery is only following one strand. It's following something that happened and the detective that's investigating it. By the way, that's not a bad thing. Anyone who reads Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch or Renee Ballard books knows or that one strand is all you need if in the right hands. Um, but in my books, there are multiple strands and multiple plot lines and multiple POVs. And the fun is watching them and trying to figure out how they link, how they connect, how they join up. That's scary. So this is a question right here. How did you create all the scenes to describe the toxins, Deegan, Frank, Panama, and Brixton, and how did you connect them, and how did you include the senator? I'm going to leave out one word because that will give away who did it. Can't do that. (laughs) Well, first off, thrillers, and there there is no scenes I enjoy writing more, especially in my Caitlin Strong series, but I've carried that over into the Capital Crime series, that when the hero finally confronts the villain finally confronts the villain and each of them knows they're, they're playing chess or checkers in some cases because the hero knows the villain what the villain is doing but they haven't got proof yet or they haven't figured everything out and the hero the villain knows why the hero is there just to, to, to get more information i think another scene that i love in this book um the first scene between brixton and deacon frank where deacon frank gives him a tour of his dairy farm the cows and all this. Yeah. And there's so much understated in that scene, stuff that isn't said. Um, those kind of scenes are, are an awful lot of fun because they're, because you build to them. Um, it's especially fun with Caitlin uh, because often she's, she's a woman confronting a powerful man. And that's a whole different dynamic than the Brixton scenes because it's two men. Um, so I have so much fun. Um, with those kind of scenes because there's conflict. See, conflict drives thrillers. 
every scene you need to be able to define what is what what are the characters even if they agree with each other what what is this scene about each scene needs its own beginning middle and end mm-hmm. um so what is what is driving each scene in in terms of resolution and one of the other things you know there's there's also a great twist in the end of mm-hmm. the cdc we won't get into um you know, kind of like maybe they don't get the bad guy the way you think they are, but but they got to find mm-hmm. another way if, if if they don't do it the more traditional way. Um, so it, it's kind of um, it's kind of fun. And here here's the, here's the bottom line. I had so much fun writing this book, um, and that's I write nonfiction. I write fiction. Nonfiction is not fun. Nonfiction is not fun. I know. Nonfiction is a skill. Fiction is an art. I enjoy writing nonfiction. I love writing fiction because I surprise myself when I write fiction. I don't surprise myself when I write nonfiction because I'm writing in somebody else's voice. I'm writing their book. I'm not writing my book. It becomes my book. And, I, and, and don't get me wrong, I love the process, but, not in, but in a different way and not nearly as much as writing fiction. The problem is that fiction is very, very tough crack right now as far as making a living um mm. books aren't selling as many copies as they used to and if if you're not on the new york times bestseller list um you need a day job and if you don't want a day job you better be able to write more than just fiction um and i'm actually going to talk about this in, in, a, in a class at thriller fest uh coming up in in june this year um mm. you know about do you want to is, is do you want to do you want to be a writer or do you want to be a do you want to make a living as a writer? And those are That's two entirely point. different things. And maybe the difference is writer versus author. Um, are you in this business to pay the mortgage? Are you doing this to pay the mortgage, or are you doing it because you want to see your name in print? Or is it both? For me, let's face it, it's both. Um, I, nobody enjoys seeing their name on a book cover more than I do. Um, and that's as much a driver as anything else. If you don't get a chill or, or, or really the first time you see a book cover or, mm-hmm. or that finished book, um, there's nothing more magical. And I've done 58 books. I think Murder at the CDC might be 59, 58 or 59, so I'm coming up on 60. And I'm still as excited today as I was. I mean, going back to 1983, publication of my first book in April of 83, The Doomsday Spiral, when when I knew I was going to see, you know, the, um, I was getting my copies the next day, the first time I'd ever seen a published book with my name on it, I couldn't sleep the night before. I literally could not fall asleep. That's how excited I was. Now, I do sleep now on the day before I'm going to see a book for the first time, but it's still magical. And I guess what it comes down to is this. As long as the process, I still have that kind of wide-eyed approach to my, to my books, that, I, you know, that as long as I feel that way about them, then the reader will feel that way about them. And you have to be, as a writer, you have to be your own best friend, and you have to be your own number one fan. Because if you don't like what you're writing, if you don't love what you're writing, don't expect anyone else to like it or love it. They won't. Right. You have to love it. You have to be able to read it and go, I would buy this book if someone else had written it, and I would love it. If, that, if you can't say those things, something's wrong with what you're writing. 
I, I agree with you, except I, I got a nasty uh, review the other day, and I think it was planted. I think I know who planted it. <laughs> hey, there. hey, I, I wrote a book, um, the last book I did with Random House um, mm. uh, with Fawcett Gold Medal was Vengeance of the Tau. Uh, my my uh, ninth Blaine McCracken or uh, sixth or seventh Blaine McCracken book, and Publishers Weekly. In those days, it, I was mass market paperback only, and maybe I got one or two reviews. Publishers Weekly said about that book, Land managed manages to offend practically everyone in this unintentionally oh hilarious thriller. No, uh, see, this person didn't even read the book. She just said it wasn't worth buying it on Amazon, and I hated it. I didn't answer anything. I just ignored it. No, no, it. never. Ne, ne, you can't never go at it. Uh, the the best the the best worst review I ever read or heard of was a, a review of one of M J Rose, my good friend M J Rose's books, where the the reviewers on Amazon said, not only did I hate this book, if it were possible to go back and unread it, I would do it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't yeah. like me. She, I reviewed her books, but I don't know. They don't love me anymore, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> they so don't know what they're missing. We, yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny. This week alone, yesterday, mm-hmm. I got five people those, whose books I reviewed years ago, maybe five, six years ago. I don't remember. And they said, the book is in the mail. I go, how do you know where to put it? I mean, one, one I felt so bad, honored. The, the book came from Ireland yesterday. No. And I'm like, why did he send me? And I read it this morning. It's like 150 pages. I read it this morning. It's called The Unlucky Charm by um, Aiden Lucid. It's really good. It's for YAs. It's really, really good. It's, it's not bad. I love so, the title. Yeah, it's it's about a stopwatch that somebody got, that this kid got for his, fa- his mother, and it um, creates danger and death. That's all I will say. The old so Twilight the, Zone MacGuffin. Yeah, yeah you know. I love the Twilight Zone. So where do you see my friend Robert next? What's going to happen next? I want Caitlin Strong, people. I'm not, you know, I really I, I, I haven't thought about the next Brixton book yet, to be honest. Um, working on, 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 on some things with Capital Crimes uh, before I move on to, to uh, do the next book. Um, it's, it's a very competitive market. And, um, yeah. you know, it's like... I, I, you know, we, we need to find I need, need a new formula to, to make the books not just work as books, but, yeah, I know what you're but get into more bookstores and get better display. It's such a challenge today to be, to you know to be one of those authors that that yeah. is that that is a, a household name. You know, everybody in this business wants to be Lee Child, but there's only one mm-hmm. Lee Child. You know, and and he's not giving up the space. Huh? One he, doesn't, of my favorite he doesn't ask me to review anything. I'm like surprised. Well, he's one he's of my never, favorite I've, people. One of my yeah, favorite people. Yeah, I know. In the I asked this one of the um, I know. publicist a while ago, and she said you could buy it. I said that's not my job. You're supposed to send it to me. <laughs> yeah, she was kind of like, okay, what can I say? So, um, if you bring Brixton back, are you going to bring Kelly back and Panama? Good, that's, and that's a very that's a very good question. And um, Max too. Don't forget and, him. And, and well, Max always going to be there. Um, that's a very good question, and and I think the answer, you know, so far I've done two books, and he and there have been two different female leads. Um, yeah, I know. The 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 trend in publishing with the great books by Lisa Gardner and Lisa Scottolini often is, if you're if you have a hero, you know, there it's usually two. It's usually a man and a woman. Um, sometimes it's two women. Sometimes it's two men. 
um, Nate mm. Romanowski and um, Joe Pickett in in the great C.J. Box uh, Park, you know, book, game warden books. So it can be anything. But normally there are two, and normally Dave, you know, Dave Roby show and Cleet Purcell. Normally you mm. have the same ones in every book. Um, so I may very well bring Loftus back because I feel that there's more I can do with her, just like there's more yeah, I can do. Yeah, you can. And the interesting thing about a man and having a male and a female as, as the leads, um, because Brixton's engaged to another woman, there's really no sexual tension between them. And I like yeah, that because yeah. I, I think that it's overdone. That Why is it that every time a man and a woman are together, it has to be romantic? No, that's not the way the world is. Why, why can't we respect women enough that they can, um, they can stand toe-to-toe with a man and be their associates, their, you know, their, con- their contemporaries, mm-hmm. not just lovers, or, or develop into that? And that's what I love about Kelly. She's very independent. And let's face it, Fran, something we haven't touched on. She's a, just like Brixton, even more than Brixton, she's a rule breaker. She should have yeah, given no, up that like evidence. She, she should have given up that evidence she found on the trail of that woman who got away. She should have turned it over to the FBI. But she doesn't. Why? She didn't even totally understand why herself, because that's her nature. She gets, she's like a pit bull when it comes to investigations. And it's important for her to redeem herself after what happened to her in Baltimore. This is what I'm that's talking right. about. It's creating full range of characters. And why I think Kelly um, could be a recurring character who could come back maybe not as a capital policeman you know maybe she's working for panama but that might be a little that might have worked for one book but um it, i don't know if it would work for more so the challenge she might, is, she might work for a standalone too because she's really good and i don't like good. too many characters lately yeah i'm, I'm going to be reviewing um interviewing somebody next month i won't say which book it is but i really wish she would kill off the main character and never bring her back ever because she was That's going to be a an investigator, but yeah, she was. Yeah, she was interesting, right? I have to be nice too. Yeah. She uh, created a character that is so obnoxious and so nasty, and beat up her clients and beat up the people that she was investigating. That I, I wanted to beat her up also because I don't like her. So why, why do we root okay. for? Her? Why why do we? Yeah, I know. Why yeah, it, I'm going to root to get rid of her. Are you? I, I just like I couldn't stand her. Oh God! I'm, but I'm confused. I, I've got so many, and I started to write another book, and I just decided to tear it up because I don't like it. I yeah, I, I was going to write a sequel to Population Zero. It was going to be called The Last Grave, and I decided I didn't. I wrote it. I wrote the scene. The scene itself is great. So I decided to change the title to base it on a television program that used to be on television a long time ago. Okay. So, what tell you want to tell us the television program? I'm interviewing Fantasy you now. Island. Fantasy oh Island, and I'm going to call it Demonic Island. Oh, God, that's interesting. If I can figure out how to write it. I started to write it on my phone. My fo- I have to find your, your uh, review on my computer. My, phone, my uh, computer has a habit of making things disappear. Oh, kind of like my bank yeah. account. Yes, I, my bank account disappeared a long time ago. And... Yeah, this this is this big. That's why I type the questions on my phone so they don't disappear. But where can everybody get your books? Um, and anywhere online, favorite bookstore. If you can't get it, um, if you, if you can't get it, you can, you know if you, if you can, if your store doesn't have it, they can order it. Well, yeah, I've got so, a panel on on the seventh of April. I forgot what it's all about. Yeah. Oh, settings and story. 
Alan Topol, uh, Stephen Harms, and a whole bunch of people are going to talk about how the setting of their story is educational. I just made it up. Hmm. It's a, yeah, that's going to be fun. And then, I, you know, as you said, investigations, um, and I like what you said last. I wonder how many, if you and Vincent Zandri and a few others would talk about, do I want to be an author, a writer, or do I want a career, or do I just want to see my name in print? That That's interesting. I wonder how many people would actually, you know, talk about that. Because a lot of the – Vincent just signed a contract for, for a book a month. And he signed, and Dick just signed three with, um, with for Claire Carlson, and then for Dana Dana Perry. And you'll probably, I I can't wait for you to write the next one. Can't wait well, people. I can't write her. You know, it's it's good taking a little break though because it'll make people it'll it'll make me want to write her all the more. That's exactly right. So everybody, it's beautiful outside. My car's in repair, so I can't go anywhere. Um, yeah, it's so sad. But it's 21 degrees in <laughs> Westchester. It's warm. This is a heat wave. <laughs> Yesterday it was minus 7. John, thank you so much. Everybody, stay safe. Do something kind for somebody, and then maybe the virus will take a hike and all the nasty people will disappear because they're not welcome. So have a great day, and bye. Bye, friend. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.